matchup. 40, pushes the man, 35, looking at him go. 30, 25, he's at the 20, gets the drop. He's gone. 10, 5, touchdown. Welcome to Any Given Monday. I'm Hayden Adoni, and joining me as always, Duncan Song. Welcome, Dunk. Thanks, Nads. Look, huge episode in store. We finally had the draft, Nads. It's been and gone. It was a busy weekend, lots of excitement, um, and I think it's this time of year that every single fan is happy with how their team drafted, um, but I'm sure that won't be the case in uh, 12 months' time. But we've got lots to cover today. We've got to get through all of the... We're not obviously not going to go through every pick, but we've got to break down what we thought were the biggest deals, the best steals, the biggest busts, all that sort of stuff, plenty to get through. So let's dive straight into social media, mate. What have you got for us with your loves this week? Because I believe there's more than one. Yes, there is more than one. I couldn't actually split the two, so I figured, why not? Let's just include both. So, going on the theme of the draft, let's talk a bit about a particular trade. So, Ian Kenyon on Twitter, you can follow him at Ian Kenyon NFL. He tweeted the following, and I quote, Brock Osweiler was so bad that the Texans traded Osweiler, a second-round pick, and two firsts to upgrade to Deshaun Watson. Now, you put that into perspective, that is just absolutely crazy. You know, we talk about picks being um, very valuable, and in the end, they've traded an absolute bucket load of picks, and the reality is they're left with Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I, I, I really don't... It, it's um, a little bit mind-boggling there when you put it into perspective. I was going to say, you, you used the term upgrade to Deshaun Watson, and I'm uh, yet to be seen, mate. We'll have to wait and see with that one, but... I mean, I know he shows up when the bit when the stage is at its brightest. He shows up, but geez, with what they've given up to get him, I don't know. Well, we'll get to the other quarterbacks, including Watson, later on in the show. But I'll keep this moving right now. So, Jason Cocky, I apologise if I pronounced your name wrong. He tweeted the following, and it it really puts into perspective the idea of the NFL being such a a big a big money spinner in, in regards, but the reality is that they're quite a bit of a, a small fish in an absolutely massive ocean. So, Cocky tweeted, Apple has so much cash on hand that it could buy every single NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, and NHL team, and they would still have over $100 billion left over. Jesus. That's a now, heck of a stat. You know, you, you put that into perspective and you just think... And that's just one tech company. Yeah, far out. You know, that, that it's... It really, like, you look at guys like Jerry Jones who, who stick their chest out at every possible opportunity. Well, they're just an ant compared to those yeah, guys. Yeah, exactly right. It really puts everything back in perspective, doesn't it? Exactly. All right, well, let's move on to your hates then, mate. We only got one of them. No, we've just got one of them this week, but it's a big one. And it's something I'm very passionate about, and I'm very, very upset. So um, I think many of us, we look at ESPN as the forefront, the the blue chip, the gold standard of sports reporting um, pretty much worldwide, especially at least when it comes to American sports. And they've decided that they're going to rebrand and reshape their franchise. So they've decided to lay off roughly about 100 people. It might be a little more. The final numbers haven't come in. And it sounds insignificant when you just say, oh, okay, 100 people, so, so what? But then you actually start looking at who they've decided to let go. 
So, so far, we're not actually sure who who they've cut completely, but the following people have announced on, on various social media platforms that this is it for them. So, um, in terms of the NFL, we've got Andrew Brandt, um, we've got Ed Werder, Britt McHenry, um, Adam Kaplan, Trent Dilfer, Jarrett Bell, Paul Kaharski, and then if if Ed Werder's mail is correct per his uh, Doomsday podcast, we've got Ron Jaworski and Merrill Hodge um, also on the outer. So you look at the, that's like an absolutely massive chunk of ESPN's NFL coverage, and like it's not just the NFL. They've gotten rid of like a number of their top NBA guys. Um, they're, I think their top three hockey guys they've also gotten rid of. And it just, the idea of them wanting to go to a more social media platform, well, that's great. But if you don't have the, um, the journalists actually reporting the news, you're going to have nothing to put on your social media. Yeah, it does seem a little bit interesting, like wholesale changes. Um, I don't know if ESPN has been quite as successful as it has been in the past. So there could be some correlation between that and, and the need to... I guess, revitalize themselves a little bit. It's also yet to be seen whether they bring anybody in to replace these guys. But it certainly seems unnecessary and over the top is how I would describe these changes. I just don't understand it because these guys more or less are the best of the best in terms of their coverage and their reporting. And it's not necessarily what they were reporting that was the issue. I think when it comes to ESPN, they've got issues in how they go about their social media and how they go about presenting information. But the actual information and the way that they get their information um, is is the best. And the people, the reporters, um, ESPN can pretty much poach anyone they want. Yeah. So they're always going to have the best. And to cut these guys, we're talking guys who have been there for like close to 20 years, if not if not longer. So um, it's really, it's come out of the blue and I really don't agree with it because, because of so many reasons that I've already illustrated. Yeah, you're spot on there, mate. All right, that wraps it up for the social media this week. How about we dive into some draft recap? All right, Nad, so the draft is in the books. All that preparation, we're finished with it now. It's all been sorted. The teams have their players. All the fans are happy, and we get to dive in and do a little bit of a recap. So what can you tell me to start with before we get into, you know, best moves, best players, best drafts overall for teams? What was your number one biggest takeaway across the board? Okay, so simply put, it's a quarterback's league. You know, there's so many GMs that will talk about how they're going to stick to their board and they're going to take the best player available. They're not going to look at positions of need. They're looking at um, just the best talent on possible when they come to pick. And the simple reality is that we saw that, okay, maybe if that these guys, these quarterbacks in particular, were the best players overall, well, maybe that their scouts need to need to have a serious look at themselves. So it's the first time in the common era of football, so that's since 1967, that we've had three teams trade up in the first round to select a quarterback. It's bizarre. It, it, you, you're spot on that it's a quarterback's league because I've voiced on the podcast before and 
many times to you my theory on trading up in the draft and how much I think it, it's just a terrible decision and that inevitably the team that trades up loses. So to have three teams trade up in the first round to get a quarterback who, you know, we've said it in our quarterbacks preview, none of these guys are first round talents. It's just bizarre. It's just mind boggling to me that that actually happened. Yeah, I completely agree. I look at the quarterbacks who teams have traded up for, and okay, maybe I can understand if a team trades up for a guy like an Eli Manning or a Philip Rivers, and um, you know, we saw Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf, like the, the Chargers traded up to pick two so they could get Leaf. Um, it, it's certainly it, it's a quarterbacks league, but I mean, you have to also understand draft value. And the teams that have traded up, you just I question whether they really are valuing the draft because the draft is where you're going to get the abundance of your talent and you're going to get it cheaply. And that's going to mean that you're going to be able to pay your franchise quarterback. Yep. So they've almost tried to re- do a, a reversal and said, okay, we'll pay everyone else and we'll try to get a quarterback on the cheap. Um and we'll make him a first-round guy, so they're getting four or five million bucks a year for the next couple of years, and we'll be able to pay everyone around them. But the fact of the matter is that these guys are developmental prospects, and I would be hard pressed to find, um, like, to find a hard stance where you're going to get, you're going to see these quarterbacks starting um, week one. Uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. And talking about draft value, how about we just break down a few of these trades that happened in the first round? So let's start with Trubisky. He went at number two to the Bears. So you've got the stats there, Nads. What did the Bears give up to get this pick? Yeah, so they San Francisco traded pick number two to Chicago, and it was in exchange for pick number three. They also traded their third and fourth round selections. So that was pick 67 and pick 111. And then uh, Chicago also traded their third round selection in 2018. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, Ryan Pace and and Chicago in general, um, the front office, they must be so glad that the, the draft was in Philly and not Chicago this year because, <laughs> boy, oh, boy, there would have been riots happening... Oh. Like, ha- had this happened um, last year in Chi-Town when, when the draft was there, could you imagine it? Oh, no, I don't want to imagine it. Um, this, this one of the three is the one that boggles my mind the most. Um, all I have to say is the 49ers smokescreen in the lead-up to the draft, all that talk about, oh, we're definitely taking Trubisky at two. They've played their cards so well. I mean, I know they had they had plenty of calls from other teams that also were talking about moving up to that spot. But, mate, they've played the, their cards so well. John Lynch has nailed this because what are the Bears thinking? Like, just take the gamble and assume that San Francisco aren't going to pick him. The gamble, the gamble is that some another team is going to trade up to pick number two and they're going to get Trubisky. So, and then as a result, Chicago wouldn't get their um, quote unquote franchise guy. I thought they gonna... signed their franchise guy in the off season, mate. I know, I know. We're going to talk a bit, bit about Mike Glenn and the whole quarterback, um, the quarterback situation in Chicago a little bit later. So I'll, I'll stick to the trade for now, but. 
The logic regarding the trade would be that, yeah, they wanted to get pick number two to ensure that they're going to land their franchise guy. Um, and they got antsy. They pulled the trigger. Well, I could conceive, I could have easily seen um, someone like Cleveland, for instance, trading up from pick 12, getting to two, taking Trubisky. It, it was known um, well around the league that um, Cleveland did like Trubisky as a quarterback. Um, so I, I certainly could have seen that from that perspective. But at the end of the day, you really need to sit on your picks when it comes to the draft because like, they're so valuable. And we can, we've can we seen time and time again that those later middle round picks, that's where you really, as a, as a general manager, that's where you need to have as many picks as possible because that's your bread and butter of your team. Sure, you have your first and second round picks. Those are your blue chip staples. But... You know, they make like half a dozen players on the roster and it's those mid-round guys that make up the depth, the meat and potatoes of your, your roster. And that gives it the... Um, it really it almost separates the, the pretenders from the contenders. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right, but it just... It's bizarre. I don't get it. They've paid so much to move up one spot to get a guy who we don't think is a first-round talent. So... It just blows my mind. But let's move on. Let's talk a bit about Pat Mahomes and that trade. So what can you tell us? All right. So Buffalo traded their first round selection. So that was pick number 10 overall. They traded it to Kansas City. So the Chiefs gave up in exchange for pick number 10. They gave up their first and third round selections in this year's draft. So that's pick 27 and pick 91. They also traded their first round selection in 2018. So, you know, they've pretty much mortgaged... Um, quite a quite a heavy heavy investment on banking that Mahomes is going to be their quarterback of the future. Um, it's, an, it's, I, it's it's a ballsy it's, move. It is a ballsy move. But as I said before, as I I, I don't like teams trading up. Okay, so I'm going to get that out there and preface my whole spiel here with that statement. I don't like teams trading up. I do like the Pat Mahomes fit in Kansas City, and there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, there is absolutely no pressure on Pat Mahomes to play now. Literally none. He gets to sit behind Alex Smith, who by all accounts is a very, very cerebral quarterback, very smart guy, knows the game, understands the game very well. So he gets to sit behind Alex Smith for a year, maybe two years, and learn. Tick. Big win. Number two, he has Andy Reid as his head coach. Andy Reid is a great head coach. And not only that, but he's had experience coaching gunslingers before. He was the quarterback's coach in Green Bay when Brett Favre was playing there for a couple of years. So he's had experience working with a gunslinger like Mahomes. So I think the fit is just... It's a really, really good fit for Kansas City. I just think trading up, they have, sp- uh, they have paid so much to get him. They better hope it works. Yeah, you're spot on that they better hope it works because if they don't, they're going to be in a big trouble because they're going to lack, they're going to lose um, the chance to add a blue chip prospect come next year's draft. Now, I look at this trade and I think, well, you know, could have they just stood back and taken a first round quarterback next year? So, you know, next year's quarterback class is a lot stronger. Yep. Um, you could conceivably, if you're Kansas City, just sit at the. Um, sit at the draft next year and then you can take your quarterback then but they they must have seen something in Mahomes that they really liked now for me the thing that I liked most about Mahomes was the fact that he could throw a, a very nice tight spiral on a deep ball he was the best he was the best gunslinger in this draft and 
I guess that Andy Reid probably looks at that and thinks, oh, well, I can probably mould like mold the rest out of it. He's a pretty raw product. But, you know, you could say the same, I guess, a little bit about Donovan McNabb. He was a pretty raw product. Yeah. Um, and he came into Philly when Andy Reid was coach and Reid moulded him into, well, he, he moulded him into a Super Bowl um, quarterback. So... Mm-hmm. Um, they're certainly going to try to replicate the same with Mahomes. Now, my big question to you is that Mahomes initially come this preseason, he's going to be against the backups and maybe even the backups of the backups. And he's going to be... I I would say that the talent that he's going to have in comparison to those guys is going to be quite quite significant, the gap. And as a result, he's going to look like a stud on the field and we all know what pressure can do in terms of um quarterback uh quarterback discussions so would you be surprised at all to see Mahomes tear it up in the preseason and then you hear from a lot of um a lot of media a lot of fans there'll be a lot of screaming regarding Pat Mahomes to start week one as a smoky um Yes and no. Yes, I can see Pat Mahomes tearing it up in the... Well, no, I can't see that. Yes, I can see Mahomes doing okay in the preseason. Yes, I can see the media hyping him up because that's what the media do. Yes, I can see there being pressure on uh, Alex Smith. No, I can't see Mahomes starting. Yeah, that's a fair call. I mean... Andy Reid's going to stick by his guns. He won the division last year with Alex Smith as his quarterback. He's had plenty of success with Alex Smith as his quarterback, but at the same time, he hasn't been able to win playoff games with Alex Smith. So I think Smith's going to be on a pretty short leash, um, and I can certainly see Mahomes getting getting into the fray a little bit earlier than expected if Smith um, has a few lousy games to start the season. Yeah, it's a possibility. We'll have to wait and see, I guess. Um, let's move on now. Let's talk about the third one. Deshaun Watson. He's yeah, gone. Yeah, this is this is a crazy trade. So Cleveland have fleeced Houston again, just like they fleeced them when they got the Osweiler trade. They've fleeced them on this pick. So Cleveland have traded their 12th overall selection to Houston for Houston's first round pick, which is 25th overall. And they also traded their first round selection in 2018. Now, to put that into perspective, the AFC South is one of the most flimsiest of league uh, of divisions. Sorry, that there's going around. So you could make an argument. I think, with the exception of Jacksonville, because they're just terrible, um, you could make the argument that the other three teams have a legitimate chance to either finish third in the division or they could finish up as high as first in the division. It really is a flip of the coin. You've got the Colts, you've got the Titans, and then you've got the Texans. And they're all about around the mark. But, you know, let's say, for instance, let's look at worst case scenario. Let's say that um, the, uh, the Colts and the Titans, they ball out this year. Yep. And then that means that tech, the, the Texans, uh, they finish third third in the division. Because I, I can't see Jacksonville coming no. higher than... Um, they're not going to get off the bottom. So for all intents and purposes, Houston finished third in the division. Now, that's going to mean that they're going to miss the playoffs because they're not going to get a second wild card. You're not going to have the division leader and then 
two wildcards coming out of the South. So they're going to miss the playoffs. And then it's also going to probably mean that they're going to they're going to have a top maybe 12, 12 pick in the draft. So is Deshaun Watson really potentially worth the first round pick this year, which is 25? Is he worth that and potentially like another, for instance, pick 12 next year? I certainly don't think so. No, I don't think he is either. This is another one of those trades where I kind of look at this and go, you've paid way too much. You shouldn't have traded up, but I understand why you did it. The Texans are essentially a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. So they need a quarterback. The problem is there's no talented quarterbacks in this draft, so they've had to pay a fortune to get you know somebody who's not a first-round talent. Having said all that, mate, mate, do you re- do we even think that Deshaun Watson's like better than Tom Savage? Whoa. Because you know, unless he's better than Tom Savage, he's not going to be starting. So I then, don't think then he will if start. He, if he doesn't, not yeah, if one. he doesn't start, if he doesn't start, you've you've mortgaged your future on a quarterback at the future when you're trying to win now. It's just it's oxymorons going around and around and around and. It, it yeah, does make I don't sense. Think, I don't think he starts. I think Tom Savage still starts week one. And I think, look, I'd be surprised if we don't see Watson at some point during the year. Um, but I think he definitely, Savage starts. I've got a bombshell for you, Nads, though. I call it a bombshell. All right. How's this? All right. So I don't know if you're familiar with Reddit, the internet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. So I, I, I frequent the Colts subreddit. Shout out to anybody from the Colts subreddit. And also NFL and uh, the NFL draft. And I saw something posted on Reddit the other day. And it's a post from a guy by the name of I Mid You Win. Don't know why he's called that, but that's his name. And uh, it was linked in, I think it was linked in the NFL, yeah, it's in the NFL draft subreddit. And it's a post from 101 days ago. Now, 101 days ago, just for those that are playing at home, it's about the 24th of January. So a while ago. And it's a quote, and it's a post that he made in the Texan subreddit. And so it's a guy, he says, you know, hello. Long story short, he's a Browns fan. And he's just wanted to talk to the Texans about some things. And so I'm I'm directly quoting, Nads. I'm directly quoting. So my first question to you guys is, we have the 12th pick in the draft along with the first, while you guys have the 25th in the draft. Since you guys seem to be a quarterback away from a serious Super Bowl run, let's assume we traded our 12th pick with three to two good quarterbacks still on the board from Trubisky, Watson, and Kaiser for your 25th and a future first. Would you guys consider this too much, or am I about right on the details? And we've got Nostradamus there. Yeah, now, he has absolutely nailed that, but it gets better. Right? So, 101 days ago, 24th of January. It continues. Next question is, I work for an NBA team. He later said it was the Cavs. So, he works for the Cavs. And he is, knows... it, is, this, is this that I image, that, that same guy? Yeah, same dude. Same okay. dude, same post. I'm with you. Yep. I work for the Cavs and know that trades in the NBA to get rid of players and the cap that they take up or as much cap as possible are used all the time in return for picks in the draft. Let's say we took Brock Osweiler and the cap we can take, I think you guys still have $9 million in this scenario, but it's much better than before, and we got a pick, a second round would be realistic, would you guys take this trade? 
Oh, jeez, man. Now, the Brock Osweiler trade went through on the 10th of March, which is a month and a half after this guy posted this. He has absolutely nailed both of them. Man, you told me off air that it was going to be a bombshell. I, I didn't believe you, man. That's, that's like how, double bombshell. How crazy is that? This guy is like a psychic, man. Like, you you got to link me and make sure that... Like, I'll, I'll tweet it we've out. We've got a scre- yeah, screenshot it, it. We'll put it on our um, Any Given Monday Twitter, and I think we'll put it on our Facebook page as well. We are screenshotting that. We're going to pin it, and we're just going to... that. That's incredible. It is. it is. It's phenomenal. He's absolutely nailed it. And the fact that, like, it was, it was not... You know, you can kind of see the argument of, all right, well, maybe, you know, I could see the Texans trading up. It kind of makes sense for them to trade up with the Browns. But to get not only that right, also the, the picks that got exchanged, correct, but to predict the Brock Osweiler trade, which just doesn't happen in the NFL, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, that's like the definition of thinking out the box. Yeah. So I thought that was an, an, just an amazing little tidbit. No, you're damn right about it, mate. That's, that's brilliant. So I just want to move back on a little bit regarding Watson in terms of his ability as a, as a quarterback. And there was a thing I saw on Twitter. It was from Ben Albright. So we've talked about Ben before on social um, on the podcast, and excuse me, I, I really like what Ben Ben um, provides in terms of quite a few analytics. And he went back and he posted in a spreadsheet that he he put up on Twitter, and it was showed all the 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 velocities or the highest velocity. I think it was the average velocity of like the ball that was thrown by certain quarterbacks. And it wasn't just from this past year, it was from this year, and it was pretty much going back the last 20 years. And the one correlation that we could see through these stats was that if you threw the ball under like 50 miles per hour, I think that was the threshold, don't don't quote me on it, but it was roughly 50 miles per hour. I know it wasn't anything less. Um, if you threw it under 50, you were in trouble because what happens then is... For every couple miles per hour that you're throwing it slower, um, DBs, defensive backs, they have an extra like foot to make a play on the ball. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about a game of inches, if you're trying to throw a hard, a hard 18 yard curl route to to the far hash, you can't throw that on a loop. You know that needs to go there on a dart. So. You know, we've got this magic number of 50 miles per hour and every every other quarterback in the league, they, they throw it at least 50 miles per hour, like the ones that are successful. And your busts, they throw it under. Okay, like for instance, you've got a lot of other quarterbacks that throw it above 50 miles per hour, but um, you're never going to see a successful quarterback throw under that, under that threshold. And they recorded the Sean Watson's um, ball velocity at, a mediocre 47 miles per hour it's just slow it's really really slow um, I, I hope i haven't done done your head in guys um trying to trying to explain that but it pretty much means that he's throwing it slow enough such that a, a defensive back is going to be able to make a bad step on the play and he's still going to have enough time to react such that he's going to be able to make a play on the ball and be there at the time that the ball arrives to to the receiver it's, it's definitely a question mark. Um, look, it's a major the... red flag. Oh, for major sure. Major red flag. 
for sure. At the end of the day, though, he's got the the proven history of showing up when the lights are at their brightest on the biggest stages. He's a proven winner. So that's what the Texans are after. They want to win a Super Bowl. You know, they've they've gone and drafted the guy that's proven that he can do it. Um, whether he can do it in the pros remains to be seen. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like we look at we. We've got a number of other quarterbacks as well in the draft, so I'll talk about Davis Webb for a sec. Um, you know, Davis Webb was taken in the middle rounds by the Giants, so they've got their backup to Eli Manning, potentially a, a quarterback of the future. And Adam Schefter tweeted that there were a few scouts out there and a few teams who actually thought that Webb had as much as, if not more, talent um, at the quarterback position than last year's number one overall pick, Jared Goff. Now, you got to ask two questions there. You either think, well, why was Webb drafted so low? Or why was dra- why was Goff drafted so high last year? Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one. I think um, a little bit of what we talked about earlier, it's a quarterback's league. And so people reach a little bit for quarterbacks. Um, having said that, you know, the Jared Goff thing hasn't really panned out so far, has it? Um, he, he's looked like a bus so far. Yep. And, and look, that th- this is the nature of it. As much as, you know, every man and his dog is capable of, of analyzing film and, and, and watching games and, and trying to predict how players are going to go at the next level. And, you know, people have paid a lot of money to do that. Um, and have been doing it for a long time. But at the end of the day, it's still predictions. It's all estimates and, and you know, educated guesses and things like that where it, there's no science to it. It's, it's not, an, it, it's, you know, it's just so unpredictable. It's essentially a crapshoot. No matter how much preparation you can do, you can make slightly more educated guesses. But at the end of the day, you're still guessing. No, you're spot on there. And you, you talk about a lot of educated guesses and I think we'll talk a little bit more about the analytics of the draft later on in the show when we when we talk about Cleveland's draft in depth because they, they've brought in like Sashi Brown, they've got Paul D. Podesta there. So they've got like quite a heavy analytics department that's um, sort of, I'm not going to say they're going to be, they're reshaping the way that the people look at the draft, but they're certainly doing it in a different way. And I think it's going to be interesting for our viewers to listen to, our listeners to listen to this um, going forward. So, Dunk, in addition to the the main theme of the draft being a quarterback's league, I think there was a little bit of a, I guess, a bit of a surprise that a number of players rumoured to be on the on the trade block, they all stayed with their current teams. Yeah, not a single player trade throughout the draft, particularly of the ones that were of note. So, you know, guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, uh, you also heard talk of Sheldon Richardson, Richard Sherman, and Malcolm Butler. None of them moved around. Now, uh, we'll go through a few of these individually, but I want to start with Jimmy Garoppolo. So I saw on Twitter, Pete Prisco from CBS went on a bit of a crusade about how the Patriots' decision not to trade Jimmy Garoppolo is just bad footballing, uh, bad football management. And look, I tend to agree. You know, we, we've talked in the past on the podcast about value, the value of trading Jimmy Garoppolo and whether or not he was worth the 12th 
overall pick if he was to be traded to the Browns. And I said that I didn't think he was. And I stand by that view. But I think somebody would have still paid quite a lot for him, particularly given the state of the quarterback market this year. Um, And if Tom Brady's planning on playing two, three more years, which I'm pretty sure he is, um, I think keeping Garoppolo is not a great decision on the part of the Patriots because his value is at the highest that it's ever going to be. To me, there's two things that um, Jimmy Garoppolo staying in New England tells me. Um, Number one is that um, Belichick wants to win a ring right now. So the way that he's going to win a ring, let's say if Brady goes down, okay, do you really trust Jacoby Brissett winning? Winning a Super Bowl? No. I I don't. And to be honest, I don't even trust Jimmy Garoppolo winning him a Super Bowl, but he'll give him a much better chance than Jacoby Brissett. Now, the second one is, had Garoppolo been on the market, they would have gotten a lot more than the 12th overall pick. You look at what um, Houston and what Kansas City paid to move up. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So they would have collected an absolute fortune for Garoppolo. Yeah, I mean, if, espe- if you I just at- want to, I'll just add, especially if Garoppolo would have agreed to sign like a long-term extension with him. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, for me, it's just you look at the we've we've been over this so many times about the value of the quarterbacks in this draft and how none of them are first-round talents. Um, you compare that with next year when you got guys like Josh Rosen, um, Josh Allen, and I think it's. Is it Peterman? No, he. Uh, there's another guy. I can't Sam, remember his Sam name. Darnold as well. Darnold, that's the one. Um, all those guys who are first round talents. So if you're trying to shop Jimmy Garoppolo next year, you're not getting anywhere near the value you would have got if you traded him this year. I also would add though that when it comes to um, projecting where a quarterback's going to be, this time last year, I think we'd look at a number of the quarterbacks and think, oh yeah, they're. They're mid-round talents, and all of a sudden, they're first-round picks. And you see the same thing happen, um, vice versa. You see first-round talents. Like, for instance, let's say Matt Barkley, for instance. He was, had he come out of college um, a year early, he would have been like a surefire top-five pick, if not number one overall. In the end, he stays another year with USC. Lane Kiffin lets their team absolutely implode. And um, Barkley ends up to be like a, a day three pick and is now irrelevant in the league. And when it comes to quarterbacks in college, it only takes maybe two or three bad games on film. And you literally, you you, you slide because um, the, the tape pretty much, um, the scouts look at it and say, oh, well, if he couldn't do it against college teams consistently, he's not going to be a success in the NFL. I mean... I'll just take it from the um, from a Raiders perspective. You know, Derek Carr was going to be a first-round pick, and then he played USC, had one bad game, which was a bowl game. So you had more people looking at it. There was more exposure, and all of a sudden he f- falls to the second round. Yeah, you're right. And, I mean, the, the flip side of that is as well that Jimmy Garoppolo's tape at the moment, albeit not there's not a lot of it, but I can't see it getting any better is the point that I was trying to make, is that... You know, if, if by some, let's say Brady gets injured and misses three games this year, Garoppolo would have to set the world on fire for the average value of his tape to go up, right? Like, even if he does yeah. okay, it's probably going to take it down a little bit, if anything. So there is there, there is no way that Garoppolo's value goes up from this year. Well, it, and so it, it, it just it doesn't, doesn't make matter. sense. It doesn't it matter. It doesn't make sense to keep him. 
Well, of course it doesn't make sense to keep him, but even if they keep him for one more year, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. So you're not going to be able to trade him next year because there's no way that Belichick is going to put the tag on. Well, now I'll ask you this question then. All right, you're Jimmy Garoppolo. If the Patriots offer you a big contract next year, but say you have to sit behind Brady for another three years. What's big? two, Two years, I don't know. Like starter level money. Okay, not, so not superstar some, money, but some, something level. like Mike Glennon got, so about fifteen a year. Yeah, let's say that for argument's sake. Uh, Belichick offers you that, but says you have to sit behind Brady for two more years. What do you do? It, it really would depend on who else is offering, like what the other contracts are. If if you had a comparable deal elsewhere, you would have to take the, the deal elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. So from the Patriots' point of view, I, it just doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever to keep him. No. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Kirk Cousins, and I think it's a bit of the same decision. Um, you know, same sort of deal. The quarterback market is, you know, they're in as much demand as they're ever going to be with relatively low supply. Yeah, I mean, I think the 49ers inquired about Cousins a few times through the draft, and um, nothing really eventuated as a result of it. Um, it. Kirk Cousins is a bit like he's a man in limbo right now. The... It's clear that uh, the front office doesn't really trust Cousins, yet, no. yet he's kind of he, he's not going to get a long term deal, and he's pretty much he has to be the king of one year deals at the moment. Yeah, and the, the issue that I have with this is the Redskins should know whether or not he's their their franchise guy, and it's clear that they don't because if they did. They would have paid him the big deal already. They wouldn't be tagging him. They wouldn't be going on a year-to-year proposition. So they haven't made up their mind as to whether he's their guy. And that, to me, tells you straight away that he's not your guy because if you've got a guy on your roster, you know whether he's your franchise guy, right? You know whether he's that transcendent talent that's going to take you to a Super Bowl. You don't need to figure that out over time. You either know it or you don't. There's no middle ground. No, you're so spot the on. Fact that, the fact that they haven't offered him that big deal says that he's not their franchise guy, therefore they should have tried to shop him. And when you've got people that wanted him, you take what you can get. Yeah, you, you say that. That being said, you know, like, if you're Bruce Allen and you're that front office, if you do shop Kirk Cousins, you trade him, let's say, for a couple of picks, um, you're signifying to your entire fan base, to your owner in Dan Schneider, that you're going to be rebuilding. So if you're rebuilding, that means you're going to go from what nine, ten wins to a to a four, five win kind of team because that that's where they are without Cousins and with a mediocre like replacement level quarterback. Um, at, given all of the turmoil that has gone on in Washington with Scott McLuhan, um, all of the in-house fighting with their front office, I'm not sure that they could have. The only thing that was really keeping their heads above water, so to speak, was the fact that they were winning games and showing improvement from year to year. Now, they've got some stability with Jay Gruden there as the head coach now, but it's certainly um, it's one of those where I don't think they had the balls to trade him because they were fearful of their own jobs. Yeah, there's a possibility of that. My theory is, though, that the Redskins are rebuilding. Like, I don't see them winning a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. I just don't. They've lost Pierre Garçon. They've lost Deshaun Jackson. Um, Fat Rob isn't exactly going to set the world on fire in the backfield. It's not a particularly great offense anymore. 
Did they they sign Terrell Pryor, didn't they? Yeah, but I I don't see him replacing all the production that you lost out of Garcon and Jackson. Oh no, I don't either. But I uh, look you. I think that you and me, looking from a like an objective standpoint, would say, nah, there's no way that like Washington are gonna do anything. And I think that's a fairly fair opinion. But I certainly think that their opinion is quite contrary to that. And I think that's why Cousins has remained a Redskin. Yeah, I think that's the the the, the position that, that has the most merit, I think. I think you've, you've nailed that one. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Sheldon Richardson. He's been on the trade block, I think, for the last three drafts. I know it was the last two because I know that he had been linked at least in fan forums and whatnot, to the Raiders for the last two years. But that, it, certainly, it, was all talk. it certainly seems like the, the moment he got drafted, the Jets are trying to trade him. Like, pretty, literally, pretty yeah, with the, with the 27,000th pick in the whatever draft, the Jets select Sheldon Richardson, and they're already on the phone trying to shop him. And it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, Sheldon Richardson, in terms of his play, is really solid. He is a really solid, like, five-tech, three-four defensive end. Um... He just has a few character concerns, a few off-field concerns, and that's really, that's why um, he's on the block. Because in terms of talent, there's no way that you would trade a player of his caliber. Um, I, I'm really not sure. Like I look at, I look at the Jets, and I think, well, they're, look, they're clearly rebuilding. There's no doubt about that. But they're probably looking also at the fact that Richardson is going to be an like a free agent next year. So that means that he's going to want to get paid big bucks. Now, the the Jets have got, in terms of their D-line, they're going to have to pay Leonard Williams. They're already paying Muhammad Wilkerson. So are you going to be able to f- afford a Sheldon Richardson who's probably going to want $15 million per year? You know, like that's he, He's going to want something similar to what Calais Campbell got in Jacksonville. So that, that's, your, that's your comparable sort of contract. Um, yeah, so... I also look at it from another perspective. So you've got, let's say, you know, like you trade for a player. Let's say he's, I don't know, you probably can trade for Richardson, let's say a third round pick. You let him go after one year in free agency. Now, if you're a team that doesn't pick up many free agents, so let's say you're a team like the Packers, you're more or less going to get a compensatory pick back for letting Richardson go in free agency. So you more or less can recoup the pick that you've traded for him and you've you've got him for a one-year rental. And heck, if if the one-year rental works out, you can pay the man. So I, I don't know why teams have... I don't know why teams didn't pull the trigger on him. Um, yeah. There's a lot of talent there. He dirt, certainly didn't live up to expectations last year. But yeah, there, there's too much talent to, to, to waste, I guess. No, it's an interesting thought to be honest i hadn't really considered it like that um it kind of makes a lot of sense i mean you know how i feel and i voiced it through all these player evaluations we've done in the lead up to the draft how important character is to me yeah um but there are certainly some general managers and some teams that are willing to take more of a chance on character than i would so when you put it in that context with the you know the idea of a rental and the compensatory pick it, it kind of makes a lot of sense yeah, and I mean, if if he if he bombs out or something, you know, like if he's a character has major issues, you know, like there, I'm not going to say that teams cheat the system, but 
you know, players get banged up all the time. So you can easily just say, you know what, we're putting you on IR. Yep, you've got a bruised, you've got a bruised shoulder. Okay, your shoulder's banged up. Matt, we don't want to play you. We don't want to risk it. Um, and, and you see that happen all the time. You see lower draft picks um, that are planned to get um, used a year from now. They they miraculously or mysteriously, I should say, end up on IR, and then next year they come back and they're they're fully healthy. They're ready to go, and then they they. Um, show up for their team simply because they can't fit them all on the roster at any given time and they don't want to get poached off the practice squad. Now, you could use a similar idea with Richardson if if he turned out to be a bad egg because you don't want to release him because as soon as you release him, you can't get him as a compensatory pick. You could just put him on IR for the year. That means that he's more or less not going to be in the everyday like everyday facilities uh, with the team. He's still going to be with the team, but they're... They're more or less, they're, they're off doing their own rehab. They're segregated away from the main guys. They're not going to have as big an effect. So I certainly would would have considered going down that route with Richardson if he, if, if things turned sour, so to speak. Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on. All right, let's keep this moving. Let's talk about these corners. Richard Sherman, Malcolm Butler, what are your thoughts? Oh, look, Richard Sherman, um, it was almost, it seemed very business-like the way they were talking about trading him. John Schneider certainly said, look, we're open to trading him. At the same time, they had a very specific price on his head and um, it, it never really got close. I think Schneider wanted a first round pick and a high second day pick, so maybe even a round three pick. So, I mean, you look at a guy that's on the better side, like I think he's 29 going on 30 or thereabouts. Um, you could even argue that Sherman's best football is behind him. He's a corner that needs a very specific type of scheme. He needs that yep. press, bump and run, cover three, cover three system. Yep. So like, he's not going to be a fit in everyone's defense. Um, th- there's no way that you would pay a, a first and a third for him, especially when his contract's the better part of, like, I think, $13 million per year. Um, for a corner that's potentially declining, um, yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't I, I totally fit. agree. It doesn't fit. Yeah, yeah, I think you're spot on. I think it's interesting that the you know the rumors were flying around. Um, I think particularly someone like Sherman, who's he's so, I guess he's at the forefront of a lot of the media for Seattle. He he is one of the you know. The figureheads that's always talked about what he's doing on the field, what he's doing off the field, when he's running his mouth, all sorts of things. So he's he's always being talked about. So I think it's kind of built up a little bit more in the media than it necessarily should have been, if that makes sense. I think it, I think um, it got more attention in the media because both Sherman and Schneider admitted that talks had happened and both of them were more or less amenable to a move if if it eventuated like it seemed like both sides weren't actually fussed if it if it happened if uh, i think if schneider had called sherman and said we're we're trading you he'd be like yeah i'm fine with that that's cool yeah well he he came out and said you know it's football it's a business i get it so he certainly was open well not necessarily open but he was aware aware of how things happened yeah yeah exactly okay i've i think though that given like how this has all transpired i think there's a bigger underlying concern going on in seattle right now you look at the culture that they've built in seattle it's it's one that i think you'd probably look at from 2010 
to now, or, or at least till 2014, before the Malcolm Butler interception on the goal line in the Super Bowl, you look at what they had produced and what the team was like as a whole, and you pretty much, it was almost textbook in how you could construct a team. Now, yeah. um, what's this called? We had Marshawn Lynch retired to get out of Seattle. We've had We've had Sherman who... Look, for better or worse, he, he certainly hasn't tried to um, like not run his mouth. He's certainly been um, voicing his opinion that things needed to change and that he was very open to leaving Seattle. Then you had a guy like El Thomas who halfway through the year when he um, busted his leg up, he was happy to say that, look, I'm, I'm content if I had to retire. You know, there's, there's something not right in Seattle. It, there's, right. there's something not right in the water there. Yeah, you, you know, you make some good points there. It's certainly interesting and, and probably warrants uh, some more discussion and some more talk. Um, the, these are, these sure. aren't players that are your, no. your, your bottom of the roster guys. These are no. like Marshawn Lynch is your number one back. He He's the one that makes everything click for that offense. And then you had Sherman, who's your number one corner that makes everything click there. And then you've got Earl Thomas, who's like the ball hawk that makes the, the Legion of Boom tick. You know, it's... So, something's not right. Um, I don't want to say that there's something brewing there, but like we saw um, Pete Carroll in USC and how they, uh, they they bent the rules and eventually Carroll left before USC got sanctioned. But I'm not saying that they're doing the same thing in Seattle because you can't like more or less every team bends the rules as much as they can. But mm-hmm. um, so, something just is a little bit fishy. Something's not quite right there. Well, I think we'll have to wait and see, but it's certainly going to be a discussion on another podcast, it feels like. All right, Dunk, so it's time to get into our top moves of the draft. So, number one, what have you got? Yeah, so before we get into the team discussions, we're just going to break through some players. So, number one, my, my, one of my favorite picks in the draft uh, we're going to start with Fabian Moreau out of UCLA to the Redskins. He went pick 81 overall, which is pick 17 of round three. Um, the reason I love this pick is because he was in the discussion for me to be a top five guy on my list. He didn't ultimately make it, but that was largely because he tore his peck at his pro day. Um, so before that, he was in the discussion for the top five and, you know, sort of like late first round kind of talent. Um particularly in a class that's this deep in defensive back. So for him to make the top five and late first round with this much defensive back talent, the talent's there, right? The guy's got it. Obviously, the injury at his pro day didn't really help, but he should be back in time for the season quite comfortably. Um, Really, really solid football player. He's got great speed, length, really good ball skills. He can sit, uh, he can slot in at either safety or at cornerback, depending on, you know, where you want to play him. Um, I think once he gets a little bit more experience and gets a bit of a better understanding of the game, um, he'll be fantastic. But he's an explosive athlete. He played uh, running back in his younger days, so he's got that real explosiveness to him. He's obviously transitioned to the defensive side of the ball, but his tape's great. His athleticism is great. He just needs his experience, a bit more experience, a bit more refinement with some NFL-level coaching, um, and I think he'll be a great pickup for the Redskins. You're spot on there, mate. I reckon that they've got a bit of a steal there. 
you know, I think we're going to see like with the, the rest of the other moves that we're going to be talking about in our top three. We're not really talking about like the hot shot, surefire first round pick. What we're looking at is we've gone through the draft and we've been like, okay, who do we think is more or less a real good value pick throughout the draft? So yeah, uh, Fabian Moreau, he's a first round talent. They've got him in the third round. No doubt that um, he's got got immense amounts of talent the only question is the pec injury that being said like like you said it's it's not gonna it's or at least it shouldn't prevent him from being on the field week one uh, well let's move on to pick number two so so who have you got nads yeah look i've got another one who's under a bit of an injury cloud but look, for me he's probably the number one corner in the in the draft if he was healthy um, Sidney Jones the fourth, so he was drafted by Philadelphia in the second round. Now I, I happen to know a little bit a little bit more about Sidney Jones than the average guy because um, I, I was talking to Joe Arrigo about him. So we had Joe on the show a couple of weeks ago for our Raiders relocation special, and um, Joe, um, Joe knows or knows um, Sidney Jones and his entourage like uh, just through a few connections and. Um, we're, we were discussing Sydney and um, Sydney Jones and the, his camp had told Joe that they expected um, Jones to be drafted in either the fourth or the fifth round, like around that area. And um, you look at where he's been drafted, he's been drafted in the second round. So it's a great result for Sydney Jones because he's going to be getting paid a lot more than what he would have been had he been a, um, a middle of the road day three pick. Um, in terms of his injury, he's done it. His, he did his Achilles at his pro day. So, look, a couple of years ago, if you asked me, look, okay, he's done his Achilles, he's going to be out for at least 12 months. I think if you look since Kobe Bryant's injured his Achilles, um, about four, four, four years ago, I think it was, um, the, the time period for rehab regarding Achilles injuries are a lot less than what they were. I mean, um, I'll bring it down to an Australian comparison. There's a, a rugby league player, Darius Boyd, and he tore his Achilles in, I want to say it was December of 20... I think it was 2014, and he was back up and running playing for like playing for the his rugby league team within I think five months so with the right rehab and look granted every every tear is different um, the surgery doesn't always go the same for everyone that being said most most of the tears are pretty it's pretty definitive I mean you can squeeze the calf muscle and the like not, nothing happens because nothing happens on the foot because of the literally the Achilles has just torn off um so that being said it, as long as he does the proper rehab um i don't see any reason why he can't be um can't be playing on the field this year um look don't be surprised if he does get redshirted and they put him on ir but i think even so he's going to be worth it because he was a guy that easily had he not done the achilles at his pro day you're looking at a guy that could would have potentially been um, the number one corner coming off the board in the draft. Well, look, it's a big call, but he's certainly in the discussion. I mean, for me, he kind of he's got a bit of uh, 
I guess a bit of Marcus Peters about him almost. So he, he kind of reminds me of. We've played with Marcus Peters. Yeah, yeah, at uh, Washington. Um, but the thing that I love, he's a little bit undersized, but he's still got that willingness to tackle, to throw his body weight around, even as that slightly smaller guy. I is think he, that's is he undersized? I mean, he's six. Is, foot, he's over six foot. He's 185 pounds, mate. He's, he's not Okay, so from, from a weight perspective. From a yeah, weight okay. point of view. Yeah, no, yeah. he doesn't have a lot of mass to him, but... He's got that willingness to tackle, um, and that's something you can't really teach. It's either you're committed to doing it or you're not. Um, he's so got, I think a, that's a, he's big got tip. a frame, though, that will be able to get him up to 190, oh, yeah. 195. Yeah, 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 exactly. He'll be able to put some mass on, too. So, no, I like that one. Shall we move on to the third one? No, please do. So, third good value pick, and, you know, I'm going to preface this one with... I've been on a slam dunk about this topic before, so we're not going to get too much into it. Um, but Caleb Brantley, uh, first pick of round six to the Cleveland Browns. Now, again, okay, for, sorry, first of all, let's let's take a step back. For those of you that haven't heard, um, Brantley was charged with Mr. Uh, yeah, misdemeanor um, for an altercation with a woman, um, and it ended up in her being knocked unconscious. Now, Again, not saying it's okay, not saying it's right. We've been into this discussion before, so I'm not going to revisit it. In the sixth round, the reason I like this pick is because the Browns front office have come out and said, yes, we are aware that there's character concerns here. Yes, there are risks involved with this selection. And yes, it could go horribly, horribly wrong, and it turns out really badly. But at that point, we can just cut him from the roster and we've lost the sixth round selection with no real other consequence. So that attitude to be able to say, look, if this kid can, you know, fix his off-field problems, get himself in the right frame of mind, deal with these issues and make sure they don't happen again. They're not they're not saying that what he did was right or okay, but they're giving him a chance to to make amends, to correct his, you know, learn from his past mistakes, fix his mentality. Um and the from from a footballing point of view, the talent is there. I had him as my number three tackle before that, uh, sorry, defensive tackle before that news came out. Um, so the talent's there. They've got him in the sixth round. If it doesn't work out, they can just cut him, and they haven't really lost anything. No, exactly. I I really really like the way that Cleveland are looking at it. You know, and we'll talk about Cleveland's draft a little bit later on in the show. So I don't want to harp on too much about it right now. But you know, we're still not really a hundred percent sure about what's happened with Brantley. Um, I'm not sure if it was on video or not. Um, there are a lot of lot of different stories that were coming out regarding it. So. You know, when it when it comes to incidents like these, especially if it's not on video, you as as someone who's like not privy to all the details, and we're not we're not going to be able to ask Brantley, look, what what the heck happened? Um, you sort of have to take it at face value, and say, well, look, they've got some immense talent at at the sixth round level, and. Okay, so what if it doesn't pan out? You lose a sixth round pick. Well, they've got 20 million other picks being the Browns. So they can afford, like they're one of the few teams that have the luxury, so to speak, of being able to pick someone with potential character concerns. Because if it plays out right for them, they've hit on a on a megastar. And if it doesn't, well, it's not going to affect them in the long run. Yep, exactly right. All right. 
let's have a look at some of the picks that we didn't quite like as much. Nads, you can start us off. Who have you got? All right, so we'll keep up this theme of... Uh, uh, I'm not going to call it domestic violence, but certainly ass- <laughs> assault. Um, I really don't like Joe Mixon to Cincinnati. I think that's a dangerous pick, both for the team and for the player. And I, I really don't like it in any sense of the word. So I don't like the fit from a schematic point of view because they've already got Jeremy Hill and Gio Bernard in the backfield. So you're adding a third guy. You're making a, a two-headed monster um, too crowded. Now, it's easy to say, oh, well... Um, Jeremy Hill, he's a free agent next year. He's probably not going to be there. But, okay, you draft the running back next year. You've still got Jeremy Hill this year. You use him this year. You let him go next year. You draft his replacement. It's As a running back, you don't need to draft a, a replacement one year out because they only have a few years in them anyway. So you're drafting them to pretty much sit for a year where you're wasting their talent. And the Bengals already have enough problems on their team that they don't need to be drafting a, a running back that's probably going to be sitting the majority of the year in the second round. You know, they're not a good team. They don't have the luxury of um, selecting a pick with this this higher value. Now, let me get to the, the personal side of things with Joe Mixon. Now, the Bengals, they have a history where they've brought in troubled players. And those said, like, said players, they've stayed in trouble. So you've got guys like Pac-Man Jones, you know? Um... It, it just doesn't make sense. It's one of those where I look at it and I think, well, if I wanted to get the most out of Joe Mixon, Cincinnati would have been one of the places where I would have said, no, he's not going to get the most out of him there. Um, I, th- I personally think he would have done a really good job in Green Bay where he's more isolated and they can keep him, uh, keep him under lock and key a bit more. But it, being in Cincinnati, it, it's just not a good fit for me. Yeah, look, he's certainly going into the draft. Obviously, he's my number one running back in talent. Um, but I, I was of the view that he certainly had to go to a a small market team. He wouldn't, you know, he shouldn't go to somewhere where the lights shine very bright on the team, like a Dallas, for instance. Um, but I think you're missing a very important detail here, Nads. Just think of all the puns that could be made by him being on the Bengals. Like... You have Jeremy Hill and, and Joe Mixon in your backfield and they can be assault and battery. Oh, jeez. That is terrible, mate. That is terrible, but oh, so true. Yeah. Well, look, as I said, he's he is a tremendous talent as a football player, um, but the personal side of things, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully he can, again, learn from his mistakes um, and, and not repeat history, but it's, it's a awkward spot. A lot of GMs just take his name straight off their board. Some are willing to take the risk. The Bengals are willing to take the risk. No, exactly. I guess that saying of we might not beat you on the field, but we'll beat you in the parking lot. I guess <laughs> yeah. I guess Cincinnati are taking that a little bit too literally. Yeah, maybe. All right, let's move on. Um, number twos. Look, we talked about not not um, having too high picks um, regarding our top moves and our bottom moves, but look, this this move is just one that both you and I don't like. Um, no. no matter no matter how you look at it, um, no. let's talk about it. It's Chicago taking Mitch Trubisky. It was the biggest shock on day one of the draft. Run us through it, mate. Well, look, we've already touched on it a little bit with you know our views on trading up for him and and my personal views of how that's just stupid in any situation. Not to mention the fact 
But there was every chance that he was still going to be there at three anyway, unless somebody else traded up, as we discussed earlier. But the whole situation, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, you've just invested $15 million a year in Mike Glennon to be your guy. That was the move you made in the offseason. You went out and you got Mike Glennon. And then with your first pick in the draft, which was a very high pick, not to mention the fact that you paid more to move even higher, you go and draft another quarterback who's not even a first-round talent? Like, it's just nonsensical. There is, there is no logic to this move at all. Like, not only from the point of view that, you know, you, you've basically... I'm, I'm going to say you have mortgaged your future because not only have you paid, I think it was a third-rounder and a fourth-rounder to move up one spot. And a third-rounder next year. And a third-rounder next year. Sorry, my mistake. But you've also then used your first-rounder this year, you, your third pick overall, which became number two overall, to pick a guy at a position that you've just spent a bunch of money bringing a guy in and he's not even proven. I just there is no logic to this move at all. Yeah, and I, I feel sorry for Mike Glennon because he was at the Bears draft party, and then they're they're taking a quarterback. That uh, it must have been pretty awkward for the poor guy. Mate, I feel I feel more sorry for the Bears fans having to deal with that. Like, I I remember seeing footage of it in the draft, like what uh, in the coverage of the draft, and it was from a um, a party in Philly. And there was a whole bunch of Eagles fans obviously watching. I mean, there's this one lone Bears fan. And once they announced the pick, he's just like, what the hell just happened? Like, yeah. He just could not believe it. He was not impressed at all. And I was like, he has every right not to be. Um, I'll mention two two little things regarding um, the the Bears front office and their, their head coaching communication. So... John Fox apparently did not know that they were picking Trubisky. Ugh. So, you know, that, that 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 pretty much says everything you need to know about the communication breakdowns between the front office and your head coach. And if that's not there, well, you're bound to fail. So you've the GM has tied this quarterback to a head coach that wasn't even sold on him. And the last point I want to make about Trubisky is that Ryan Pace, the general manager of the of the Bears... He said, um, I'm not going to quote, but he did say along the lines of, um, well, another team in our division have done this before, so it's not like it's not like we're breaking new ground. And he was referring to the idea of the Packers having Brett Favre on their roster and then drafting Aaron Rodgers. Well, I've got breaking news for you, Mike. Um, Mike Glennon, he's not Brett Favre. And Mitch Trubisky, Mitch Trubisky is definitely he ain't a he ain't a rod. So, like, if you think that those players are in that caliber, heck, if you think Mike Glennon's as good as Brett Favre, you you have Mike Glennon for another three years. You should have um, invested in Mike Glennon and enabled your offense to thrive. Instead, you've taken your number one draft asset, which could have been used to trade down and to acquire some more picks because you've got holes everywhere through your team thanks to your shoddiness of being a GM and in the end you've invested in a quarterback who's going to be sitting on his backside holding a clipboard for the next year watching Mike Glennon throw to no one because he's got no decent targets because heck um, you look at Kevin White Kevin White he's going to be injured he's his number one yeah he's your number one and he's already injured he, he breaks his fingernail just getting out of bed in the morning you know <laughs> he bra- breaks his leg slipping in the shower so you know, 
they, they, they're a basket case. They're an absolute dumpster fire right now. And Ryan Pace, he's going to be the number one GM that's going to be fired come next year. I'm putting that out there right now. On the plus side, the incumbent GM will have uh, number one overall for next year's draft. <laughs> and he'll be able to draft that's... another quarterback and let Trubisky rock. Correct. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get. We got one more bad pick to get through, Nads. You're uh, on fire here. Let's keep it moving. Who've you got? All right. So this is a this is another trade up. So we're we're talking about one basket case in Chicago, and I would have said that San Francisco is a basket case a couple months ago, but I think that with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they're starting to turn it around. But this pick I really didn't like. So San Francisco traded up to draft running back Joe Williams out of Utah in the fourth round. So on the on the surface of it, talent-wise, he's a good pick. We're a little bit below the surface, and uh, not so much. So he has uh, look, a significant amount of off-field concerns. And John Lynch even went as far as to say publicly, according to Peter King on um, the Monday Morning Quarterback, that Lynch actually crossed crossed Joe Williams off his board entirely. And then Kyle Shanahan started to beat his drum. Him and the the San Francisco uh, running backs coach, they started to beat their drum about trading up for Joe Williams. So what they've done, they convinced... John Lynch not only to t- to like get get the eraser off and to re put him on the board, but they've managed to convince Lynch to draft the guy to to, to trade up, to trade up and then draft him. Now there was a picture in the Monday Morning Quarterback that the article about Lynch and the 49ers draft war room, and one of the things about it um, it had. It had a picture of saying what 49ers, the players, represent and what they stand for. And like how they, they're of great character and they're humble and they, they show a lot of humility. And it was pretty much the exact opposite of what everything Joe Williams stands for in terms of his character over the last few years in college. And it's just so hypocritical, not to mention that you're almost getting undermined by your head coach because... That they've they've banged the drum, and you as a GM, you're the one that's like really has the final say. You're you're getting um, you're you're getting a new one ripped. You know, like it, it just it doesn't make sense. I, I don't understand it. Um, I feel like when it comes to putting putting your um, culture first, um, they have enough culture concerns given like what's happened with Kaepernick and all that, and just to be drafting a guy. Um, based solely off what um, what's it called, what Kyle Shanahan has wanted, as opposed to based on pretty much all the info that you had accumulated prior to it, said that look, we don't think he should be drafted. It's just it's just not a good way that you can go going forward as a general manager. No, and just to clarify for for the listeners, if you aren't aware of some of Joe Williams's character concerns, let me just run you through a couple of them. So. First of all, he started out at the University of Connecticut and he got kicked out of UConn for theft. Uh, so then he winds up at Utah where he retired, and I use that in inverted commas, he retired for a month just because <laughs> he was done with football, but then came back after their running back core was so smashed by injury. Um, there's just, you know, 
he doesn't have that commitment. Like he doesn't seem to have the commitment to the game that you want from a professional, right? If you're going into work every day and you're half-assing it, you're going to get fired. It's the same in the NFL. You go into the work every day and you half-ass it, you're going to get cut. So, you know, there are these red flags off the field before you even get started. Not to mention his history of fumbling the football, which is not what you want to see. So I agree. Trading up for him. As a Colts fan, I was more than happy for you to give us, you know, extra draft picks. But, um, yeah, I, I don't see the, the point in A, trading up for him, but B, actually drafting him in the fourth round. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know, like if you don't, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have the work ethic to apply that talent, you're going to be worthless. You know, like the the I, Joe Williams in terms of his character reminds me a lot of like the the former Raiders running back Rolando McLean. So, I, I remember I was in the Raiders um, headquarters a few days after uh, McLean got kicked off the team, and. Um, one of the the big issues that happened was that McLean's um, girlfriend at the time, I'm not, I don't know if they're still together or not, but um, but she had a baby, and he, as a result, he was having to get up early and he wasn't getting enough sleep, as you do when there's a, a new a newborn in the house, and he went to he went to the head coach and said, look, my girlfriend's had the baby now, I don't feel I should need to be here at six a.m. to be ready for the seven a.m. morning meetings you know so you you, you, can, you can imagine how well that went down oh yeah no not well at all you know like uh, this is the pros you're getting paid like yeah. mega bucks and you don't want to come in because like you you're going to be a little lack lacking sleep like come on man yeah we need a bit of chris berman right now <laughs> oh yes all right, well, that wraps up the individual player picks. Let's get into some of our thoughts on the best and worst drafting teams this year. All right, Dunk, so it's time to get into our favorite teams and least favorite teams drafts. And I know you can't really evaluate drafts for uh, at least two to three years before before you can have a decent grade. But on the surface, at least, um, who's your number one draft that you really liked? Look, number one that I really liked, uh, it, it's hard to split a few at the top. But, but before we, we get into the ones I really like, I'm going to give an honorable mention to Baltimore. I thought they drafted quite well. Um, obviously, as a Colts fan, I'm a little bit biased, but I liked what the Colts did too. And I'm sure you feel the same way about the Raiders. Um but for me, the team that I actually thought killed the draft the most, the Cleveland Browns. I thought that from start to finish, they played it perfectly. They let the draft come to them, which is the biggest thing I think that they did well. The first overall pick, they didn't botch it and take Trubisky or somebody else random entirely. They took the best player. They took Miles Garrett. So they've done, they've, they've done the right thing. They didn't manage to Browns that up. They uh, traded down from number 12. They let the draft come to them, and then they picked Jabril Peppers at round 25. So you've now got two explosive athletes on the same on the, on the defensive side of the ball that was desperately needed. Um, two great character guys, lots of energy in the locker room. Things that Cleveland really need, they've done really well. Then they've addressed... The other side of the ball by trading back up to pick David and Joku at pick twenty nine in round one, who my number two tight end um, 
he's young, but in a really, really great talent and prospect for the future that, you know, he's going to be around the Browns for a while. They get the fifth year option. So, you know, they've got plenty of time with him on the roster um, t- to build on that offense. And then in the second round, they trade down again and they get uh, Deshaun Kaiser. They get their quarterback still, or at least, you know, a guy to push Cody Kessler. But they didn't have to mortgage their future to do it. They didn't trade up. They didn't take him at number one overall. They waited for the draft to come to them. Um, outside of that, we already mentioned Caleb Brantley in the sixth round, but they plugged in a lot of guys in positions of need, um, which is another thing you really want to see from you know your team when they draft. You don't early on. I don't mind seeing you pick best player available. Um, but late in the draft, I really feel like once those blue chip guys are gone, you've really got to draft positions of need. And I think the Browns did a very good job of that. They made all their picks count. Um, I don't think they could have done it any better. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I really think they were the number one team for me. Um, number two is a little bit of a smoky. I, I look at Tennessee and I really, really like what they did. Now, not everyone agrees with me. Ah, so be it. That's why we all have our opinions. Now, you look at what Tennessee have done, and I look at it as they have their quarterback, and now they're building around their quarterback. So you look at, um, let's talk about um, the Tampa Bay Bucks, what they did with um, Jameis Winston. So they've got Mike Evans. You know, They've got their, number, their top number one receiver. And you look at what the Raiders did when they drafted Derek Carr. They found out Carr was the franchise guy, and then they drafted Amari Cooper. You know, so with with the round one, the number five overall pick, Tennessee, they drafted the best wide receiver on the board. So they drafted Corey Davis, and now it's sort of hard to sort of peg where where Davis is going to fit. You know, in terms of like, okay, was he a top five pick? Probably not. But in terms of being able to maximize the talent that they're going to pick there, it was a really, really solid pick. We're seeing wide receivers get bigger, stronger, faster. He fits that mold. He's got really good hands. He's going to be the number one target for Mariota straight out the bat. And especially in Tennessee, they really need guys on the outside. So not only did they draft... um, Corey Davis with their top five pick. They also went and drafted one of my favorite receivers in this draft. They drafted Taewon Taylor out of Western Kentucky. And he is an absolute shifty slot receiver who's going to cause matchup problems galore. So don't be surprised if Mike Malarkey tries to get a little bit exotic next year when they spread you out and they put Taewon Taylor in the slot. They get um, they shift Delaney Walker, dare I say. They can even shift him as far outside as possible such that he's lined up on a corner. You know, really stretch you out. Or even if it's man coverage, they can get a linebacker out of the box, put him out um, on the edge there, and then you can power run it up the middle with the Marco Murray. So th- it, it really gives them a lot of options. Now, they also drafted a third-round tight end, so Jonu Smith. So he's out of Florida International. He's not really known too well, but you know that he's going to be um, a number two tight end. He's And they look, Tennessee loves to run their two tight end sets. So you know that he's going to be a player to help um, Mariota straight out the bat. I also love their pick of Jayden Brown. Now, he's a guy who I had as a late third-round pick um, in terms of his draft grade. 
Um, they've got him in the fifth. I really, really like this pick. He's sort of undersized for the linebacker position, but he's got speed. He he knows how to play in coverage. And as a linebacker these days, that's where you're going to make your money because as a sub, um, in the sub packages, when they they take like the, the beef off the field, you really need to be able to play coverage. If you can't play coverage as a linebacker, you're not going to be able to be on the field for, for much. I can see Brown having an impact uh, maybe not this year. I think this year will be a, a big special teams impact, but definitely in years to come. Now, I want to talk about two more picks for the for the Titans. We've got Kalfani Muhammad, who's a he was their last pick in the draft. He was very close to being Mister Irrelevance. He was round seven, pick two hundred and forty one. Now. He's a shifty running back. He can. He's only five foot eight, one hundred and seventy five pounds. He averaged five point eight yards per attempt when he was with Cal. So he can run, and he can also catch. So you know he averages one catch a game. So they. It wasn't like he was being used immensely, um, but he can run a four point three five forty. So he's got the. He's got that prototypical like Darren Sproles scat back size. And given that the Titans already have DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry, I just feel like he's going to be a great change of pace back. And you can use him in a number of ways um, to really get some good matchups your way, um, especially if you go no huddle. Now, the last guy that I'm going to talk about, look, this is maybe, I'm not sure that they needed really needed this guy, but he's almost a luxury pick. It's um, the corner out of USC, Adoree Jackson. I like Jackson. I think he's a very good player, but I'm not really sure where you're going to fit him on this defense. Um, I think it's almost like they've drafted him to be a special teams gadget player. Look, given given um, that they've really invested heavily in the offense, I, I don't actually mind the pick. Um, that yeah, look, it's not my most favorite pick of the draft, but I certainly think that Tennessee, having built around Mariota, um, they've done the right thing and. Look, right now, I have them as my tip for the AFC South. You're not, not rating my Colts, mate. I rate the Colts. I just think Tennessee are better. Oh, well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but look, you've covered that really well. Uh, for me, the other team that I had high up on the, the list of drafting efforts was the New Orleans Saints. Now, they didn't have a lot of draft picks in the draft. They only had uh, seven picks overall. But they were, you know, six of those seven were in the first three rounds, and I think they've hit on all of them. So round one, pick 11, they got Marshawn Lattimore. Um, my number one corner for him to fall to number 11, I think it was a no-brainer, but, um, you know, they made the pick, they got the guy. Then they followed that up with Ryan Ramchick at the end of the first round. Um, day one guy who slot straight in at right tackle, um, I think, you know, you've got Drew Brees there. You need to keep him upright. Um, Ramchick was the pick to do it. Um, then they come back and get a center fielder and Marcus Williams a safety out of Utah in the second round. Um, you know, the, the Saints had the worst pass defense in the NFL last year. So in their first three picks, they've already got the number one corner and then a great safety, a great center fielder um, to address that issue. Then they come back and get my boy Alvin Kamara in the third round, uh, the running back out of Tennessee. I loved Alvin Kamara. I, if you didn't hear it, listen to me talk about him in the running backs uh, preview we did way back in the day. Um, really great running back. Now they've got a, a, 
an enormous backfield of Mark Ingram, uh, Adrian Peterson, and Alvin Kamara. So it'll be interesting to see what the Saints do with that. But um, I think, uh, you know, it, it gives him an opportunity to learn from, you know, Adrian Peterson, one of the best running backs of all time. Um, so I think he's got a really nice fit there. And then they get Alex Anzalone, the linebacker out of Florida. Um, the only issue, well, not the only issue, but the biggest issue we had for him was, you know, durability. He had a few, a few shoulder injuries, which obviously as a linebacker, you're a little bit, you know, concerned about. But great size, great athlete, um, and he's, he's a good cover linebacker. So he's going to play on third down as well. Um, really ticks a lot of boxes. So I think they just nailed this, pick, uh, this draft in, in their entirety from start to finish um and then obviously they also had two more picks so trey hendrickson an outside linebacker out of florida atlantic and i've got al Qadin muhammad i hope i pronounced that right um the defensive end out of miami so i think they've nailed it i think they are deserving of a a top three grade no you summed it up well let's go to our least favorite teams least favorite teams Um, yeah, who you got? Ugh. Who's your, who's your number one? Number one, my least favorite draft, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, I'm just looking at this, going, what did you guys do? Uh, so they had 11 selections in this draft, and I don't like a single one of them. That's not a single one. Not a single one. Jesus. There is there there it's are not a good endorsement. No, there are three picks in the draft from them that I say are kind of okay. And the rest I just dislike. So it starts at the top. John Ross in the first round, I think they reached. Um, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to give AJ Green some support. Um, trying to, you know, a bit of a matchup nightmare in some sense by the fact that you're going to have to either lend safety help or have a cornerback who's got some wheels to go with him down the field. And, and, and if you're going to have the safety floating over to help cover John Ross... You know, are you leaving one-on-one coverage on AJ Green? Like, I understand the thought process behind it, but I think they reached for it. In the second round, they come back and get Joe Mixon. We've already touched on that pick earlier as one of our least favorite picks outright. Then they come back and they get Jordan Willis and Carl Lawson back-to-back, both outside linebackers. These are two of the picks that I thought were okay. Didn't mind them. Yeah, I agree there. Yeah, I I I don't mind those picks. I thought they were all right. But 11 picks, you go through these names. Josh Malone out of Tennessee, Ryan Glasgow out of Michigan, Jake Elliott out of Memphis. He's a kicker. They drafted a kicker in the fifth round, Nads. Um, I don't mind the J.J. Dealman pick at the end of round five. He's a center out of Utah. But just from top to bottom, it's either reaching or just okay. There is no good pick, I don't think. Yeah, look, mate, I I, I agree. I, I really didn't like Cincinnati's draft either. Um, my next least favorite draft it was Chicago. So we talked about Mitch Trubisky, and there's really not much more that we can add there. We've we've talked about ad nauseum. Um, I'm just also going to say that Chicago they drafted a a bunch of players who were below Division One football bowl subdivision, so they're drafting Division Two guys who more or less, uh, you, you could get them the, the same guys like in the seventh round or even as priority undrafted free agents. And they've drafted like four or five of them. And I'm not going to go into detail into Chicago's draft because we've talked about it so much. Um, and quite frankly, it's not worth any more time 
um, because Ryan Pace has done an awful job here and I just don't want to keep rehashing it as we've done all episode. Like, I've made it very clear about Ryan Pace, how I feel about it. I don't think that he's going to be a GM of an NFL team come 12 months from now. And this draft is going to be one of the biggest reasons why. Yeah, I totally agree with that. We've, we've been over the, the Chicago situation a lot uh, in this episode, so I'm not going to add too much more there. Um, I am going to shift our focus a little bit to the Los Angeles Rams, who were my other team that I didn't like their draft. Um, I think part of this stems from you know, what they gave up last year to get Jared Goff that makes this draft look worse on paper. So they didn't have a first-round pick this year. Um, now, I understand what they're trying to do, and I appreciate, you know, they're trying to surround... You, you've put all this value into Jared Goff. You need to surround him with talent. You need to help him out. So, you know, four of their first... Sorry, three of their first four picks are offensive players. And look, I don't mind some of these picks. Um, so they took Gerald Everett in round two with their first selection. They come back and they take Cooper Cup in round three. I was really, really high on Cooper Cup early on. His combine was a little bit underwhelming, um, which kind of knocked him down a little bit for me. And then I like the pick of John Johnson out of Boston College as a safety. But I just, first of all, I don't think they addressed enough needs. This team is so devoid of talent everywhere that you know they, they really needed to focus on the the spots that they really needed they didn't draft a cornerback they didn't draft anyone on the offensive line to help keep Goff upright I think they were two big needs that they they haven't fulfilled at all um and you know the the picks that they have made yeah some of them are, are, are okay and that's the reason that they're not my worst team they're still not fantastic you know round two pick 12 they took Gerald Everett he was my fifth ranked tight end um, and, you know, there, there's not a huge gap between him and some of the guys below him. So you could have waited a bit longer and picked one of them and, and got better value uh, at that selection. I just, I feel like for a team that had so many needs and, and needed needed that injection of talent to support Jared Goff, they maybe had one or two picks that I would have said, yep, you've done that. The rest are kind of just ordinary at best. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Sean McVay goes out there, that's for sure. Um, look, we've, we've pretty much summed the draft up as a whole. I'm, I'm not sure that we can really add much more. Um, I know that you've got one hell of a slam dunk brewing, though. It's be, you've been bottling it up, not just for this week. You've been bottling it up for pretty much ever since the draft. So let's get into it, mate. What's your slam dunk? And, and so obviously the draft is in the books and I thought when I was, you know, in the lead up to this, I was thinking, oh, surely there's going to be, you know, some bonehead decision that gets made that I can just, you know, go to town on. And we, we've kind of done that already with, with Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. So I had to kind of think a little bit further and a little bit more outside the box in terms of what was going to be the subject of the slam dunk this week. And there was one thing that really stood out to me. So... Every year you hear about guys, you know, when, when you're going through the analysis, obviously you, you talk about their position and their, you know, their, their height, their weight, their 40 time, all the rest of it. But when you hear a player get described, you often hear that they're a, 
you know, a senior or a junior or a sophomore or a redshirt sophomore or, or whatever, you know, um, stage of their college um, process they're at. Now, when you are, you know, entering the draft, um, if you're a senior and you're graduating from college, that's, you know, you're done. Your, your NCAA playing time is done. When you're a, a sophomore or a junior, you technically still have another year of eligibility or another two years, depending on, you know, what, what uh, point in your NCAA career you're leaving at. And I want to draw our, the attention of our listeners to the underclassmen. So that is people who are not seniors that leave college a year or two early to enter the NFL draft. Now, you see a lot of them that get drafted. No doubt. There's there's a number of them who have supreme talent and athleticism and they've already got the production. They've already got the film. They leave early. They get drafted to extend their playing career, to reduce the toll it takes on their body and so on and so forth. And I have no problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is underclassmen electing to leave college a year early and enter the draft and then not getting drafted. So on paper, this kind of sounds like, you know, well, maybe they just got unlucky and, you know, the team didn't select them. But it's it's not, you know, it's not that simple. It is a process whereby the players get constant and detailed feedback from not only their coaching staff, but also players, the uh, sorry, scouts. So the NFL has now established opportunities for these guys to, you know, have sort of mini pro days, I guess, where scouts can come out and, and give them lots of feedback about how they're going what they want to see, what they need to work on, you know, where they're projected to go. So it's not like these guys have absolutely no idea where they're going to get drafted and they're just throwing their names into a lottery, which in those circumstances, you can't really blame them for entering the draft uh, early. The thing is, with all of this feedback, you know, or at least you have a really good idea whether or not you're going to get drafted. Now, Nads, in the 2017 NFL draft, we had 95 underclassmen. Um... And 28 of those weren't drafted. So that's about 30%. So nearly a third of the underclassmen didn't get drafted. Now, last year, we had 96 underclassmen. 30 didn't get drafted. That's about 31%. So we're in about this, you know, a third of the underclassmen each year aren't getting drafted. That's just ridiculous. What goes through your head to, to have all this information given to you, to have all the feedback, you know, to have an idea of how reasonable you are as a player, what your stats look like, what your tape looks like, you know, what your character is like off the field. Sure, you might think, you you know, you're having a good time and having a lot of fun, but you know what NFL teams are looking for and it's quite easy to tell whether or not what you're doing off the field stacks up. So why are all these underclassmen leaving college early to enter the draft when they have no reasonable prospects of being drafted. Now, now I saw an article the other day of, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody came out and was talking about um, why you know you shouldn't be scolding these guys um, for, for leaving early, for the, the underclassmen entering the draft. You, know, you shouldn't be you know, harping on about why that was a mistake. And they, they cited some reasons, and some of them have merit, 
Um, things like, you know, your, your body only has so long that it can take the abuse that playing American football dishes out. And so why would they, you know, put themselves through another year of physical peril when they can have a crack at making pros now and, uh, you know, get at least rewarded for it? Some of them might, you know, be at risk of losing playing time to talented freshmen coming through. Some of them, you know, may hurt their draft stock by coming back was an argument that was made. And that one in particular, I want to stop and make a point about if your draft stock isn't good enough to be drafted now, what is going back and playing again going to do to make it worse? Like, you're already in the undrafted category. You may as well go back and take the risk that you're going to improve your draft stock and actually get drafted rather than going back and at risk of, you know, hurting your draft stock. It just doesn't make sense. That argument doesn't... It just... There's, there's no logic to it, right? For me, if you're an underclassman, you know whether or not you're good enough to take the next step and get drafted, or at least you should with the information that's being given to you. And if you decide to enter the draft anyway and you don't get drafted, then that's squarely on you and you have to work your butt off to get a an undrafted free agent contract. You might end up on a practice squad somewhere. But, Nance, that's not where I'm going to finish. I want to take aim at the NFL a little bit here as well. Your business is founded on these guys. You know, on these college athletes coming through and being able to perform at an NFL level. You need to do more to help them out. For once, you need to be a little bit more player focused and not so focused about yourselves. You need to give these underclassmen the opportunity where, you know, let, let's 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 scale it back a little bit. Let's say for juniors in particular, sophomores, if, if you come out as a sophomore and you don't get drafted, then that should just stay on you. That's two years too early. But if you come out as a junior and you don't get drafted, I think the NFL should give them the opportunity to go back to college for another year. Now, logistically, there's going to be some difficulties there. I'm not sure of exactly how they'd work it out because the second you get representation as a college athlete, your NCAA eligibility just goes. It's gone straight away. So there needs to be some sort of logistical fix to make this work. But for me, the NFL needs to make it possible for underclassmen, particularly juniors, to have the opportunity to take the shot to get drafted. And if they don't make it, they get some extra feedback, they go back, they play their senior year, and you take away some of these these issues that, you know, these, these guys that are not getting drafted, most of them, their careers in football are done straight away. Some of them will get lucky enough to land on a practice squad. Some might end up in CFL or arena football or, or whatever. But the, the, the thing is, their chance of making the pros is pretty well done straight away. So I think it's really important that the NFL focuses on the players a little bit more and gives them the opportunity to return to college. Yeah, I mean, you look at it when you think about how many guys like, of, that, of that, that ilk, um, they, should, they should know better. You know, the NFL tells them, they've got the draft committee, it tells them, look, this is where we're projecting you right now. And the draft committees are more or less like, they're spot on. They've got their finger on the pulse. Now, you really have to be like in your own little world to to think, oh, I'm going to defy the experts. I'm going to defy the committee. Yeah, you might defy the committee after the draft, but, you know, don't go against what, what like every every logical convention is telling you to do you know i think the the biggest issue that you've mentioned is the idea of okay if you miss the draft you can go back at the same time you got that there's issues in terms of like ncaa eligibility i think it's also a little bit of a a can of worms because 
teams like college football teams are already having this their their trainings their spring trainings so you know they've got an, a rough idea as to what their team's going to look like already and then okay will he won't he come back you know there's a lot of flip-flop going on there i didn't say it'd be easy logistically it'd be quite hard to do but i think it's something that needs to be looked at it's certainly something that needs to be looked at i think that this i don't think maybe that they should be able to enter the draft and then come back i think a probably a fair middle ground would be okay you can nominate for the draft and then you can go through like your combine you can do the pro day and then i think after the pro day is the point at which you need to say okay i'm either going to the draft or i'm not because by then you would have had all the the relevant interviews with teams you probably would have gone to a few private workouts with a few teams had some interviews at team facilities you do your pro day as well so you you pretty much get every chance to raise your stock and then you're also going to speak to the nfl draft committee and by then you have a pretty pretty bloody good idea where you're at and if you're not if you're not there well then you can go back and that's probably like a month or so before the draft so you you get you get to have that exposure and to get that i guess practice and preparation a year before I, I don't i think that's where probably a middle ground could work i mean we're seeing it in the nba how um players can nominate for the draft and they can pull out if their numbers aren't good or they get word that their uh, their stock isn't as high as what it initially was um i don't know exactly how it works in the nba but i, th- I certainly think that it's probably it's something that the nfl needs to look at because 28 people who were underclassmen getting undrafted is 28 too many exactly right all right that wraps up another episode of any given monday our draft special make sure that you like us on facebook at any given monday pod also follow us on twitter we're on twitter at any given mon pod you can also catch nads individually on twitter at hb nadolny n-a-d-o-l-n-y and you can catch me at DSong, S-O-A-N-G. And uh, we'll be, well, I will be tweeting out that uh, link to that Reddit post that I talked about at the beginning of this episode. So you guys can check that out for yourselves with our very own Cleveland Nostradamus. Seriously, that, that Reddit post is something out of this world. I'm definitely just going like, to mark that guy because I'm looking forward to seeing what stuff he has to present next year come draft time. Damn straight. Anyways, guys, in the meantime, take care. We'll catch you next week. Keep fighting for those inches. Bye. Right.